Hello everyone, this is Maria Lipman and our Pono's Eurasia podcast featuring a series of discussions about Russian Eurasia, about the region's politics and about other Russian Eurasia related topics. From mid-October to mid-November this year, Russia conducted a population census. The census was originally scheduled for 2020, but it was postponed in particular because of the COVID pandemic. This fall, the pandemic has reached its highest levels, but apparently the government decided to go ahead with the census anyway. The data was collected by two methods, the traditional way by census takers and electronically. It is not quite clear just what the shares of the two methods were. Different government officials cite different estimates. It was reported that about 3,000 census takers got infected with COVID, which raises the question of whether it was a good decision to conduct a census amidst the pandemic anyway. Since at least part of the data has been collected electronically, this might raise doubts about the quality of the data collected. Today's Russia is thoroughly digitized and all kinds of data is available online. Still, experts point out that face-to-face data collection provides better, more precise characteristics of the people who live in Russia. However, the 2021 census will produce the data that will be further used as the basis by planners, statisticians, scholars, and others. My guest today is Andrei Sherbak, Deputy Head of the Ronald Engelhardt Laboratory for Comparative Social Research of the Higher School of Economics. I'm going to talk to him about the current census, about the kind of data it will provide, and in particular, what we can expect to learn from uh, the nationalities data, nationalities who live in Russia. We'll also discuss the Russian government's nationalities policy. Hello, Andrei. Hello, Maria. So, Andrei, the government encouraged people to participate in the census electronically, but of course, many didn't. And also because of the pandemic, people are unwilling to open the door to strangers, that is, census takers in this case. For my part, I haven't been visited by a single census taker, and neither have I gotten any invitations to take part in the electronic census. So what do you think about the methods of the data collection this time, and hence about the quality of the data that uh, has been collected? Well, let me start with my personal story. Uh, I think I am a very rare exception. I think that I was counted twice, because... Uh, First time I uh, filled in this uh, census form on the Gosuslugi website for all my family. And uh, at the same day, uh, my family members told me that they were also interviewed by uh, census takers in their house. Uh, And uh, so it seems that uh, we are a very rare case when uh, we were counted twice, electronically and uh, by face-to-face interview. However, I really believe that it is an exception. So if you just read media reports uh, in press, in uh, social media, let's say in Telegram channels, uh, we will find only negative reports about the quality of uh, data collection. So uh, no, it seems that no one uh, believed uh, to the head of uh, the Rostat, who proudly reported that first we have interviewed up to 100%. Uh, but then when he was asked a clarification question, so what do you mean by that? He said about 100% of what we have planned indeed. 
And uh, now it seems that even official figure is about no more than 80% of people uh, being interviewed. And uh, to my best knowledge, uh, it's almost a failure. I remember then uh, 10 years ago when we had the previous census, even the figure 90% uh, was uh, seen as a, almost a failure. Because, well, so the uh, idea behind the census that uh, census takers uh, should go to, to each house, should visit each household and uh, literally ask everyone. Alternative uh, sources report, let's say, based on some uh, polls, uh, when people were asked if you participated uh, in uh, the census, do you know about it? Uh, give us figures about 30-35% of population uh, who did uh, participate, in fact. And, well, uh, probably uh, this is a disaster. Unless we will get uh, uh, some new data about the quality of this uh, enterprise, we will be very skeptical uh, about uh, all figures uh, that would be based on uh, this 2021 census. Well, rather a grim picture, but apparently uh, people like yourself, as well as government planners and statisticians, will have to make do with these results. Or do you envisage any other way out that the results of these of this particular census will not even be taken into account? Well, let's see. I would not believe uh, in government's uh, intention, let's say, to reject uh, the results of the census officially. So. Well, uh, we had too many such events in the recent uh, years, like, I don't know, elections and so on, and government, uh, the government never accepts uh, its failure. The only uh, case uh, that we had in the, the census history is, if I'm not mistaken, the 1939 census, which uh, was conducted after the Great Terror and after the great famine in Ukraine, and which uh, have, uh, had revealed population loss, and, uh, well, for ideological reasons, uh, it was uh, unacceptable for the government. No, it was uh, 1937 and 39, and so the government uh, claimed that, uh, well, the, it was uh, a failure, and uh, the Soviet uh, version of Rostat was almost entirely repressed, and the new census was conducted, uh, in con conducted just in two years, and, uh, well, uh, so now it revealed uh, much more optimistic uh, uh, pictures of what's, what was uh, going, on, going on in the Soviet society. Uh, but, well, that was a historical off-topic, uh, but, well, definitely, so the government uh, will accept these figures, however, Yes, we should expect that many experts uh, will claim that uh, we should not trust uh, to these results, at least uh, at some points, right? So, uh, uh, me, personally, me personally think that, uh, well, so the results will be more or less objective in large metropolitan areas. Uh, so, Moscow, uh, Moscow city, the Moscow regions, so probably just today. Uh, the, governor, the governor of the Moscow region claimed that, yes, according to the uh, preliminary data, uh, the population of the Moscow, regions, Moscow region increased by 3 million 
from roughly speaking uh, 7 plus million to uh, up to 10 uh, plus millions. And well, uh, I would believe in these figures. So I would believe in uh, some estimates for the Moscow city population, for St. Petersburg city populations. But I think uh, the biggest problem problems would be with uh, some, let's say, uh, depressive regions in the central Russia, in the northwestern Russia, uh, where we sh one should expect uh, a radical decrease of population uh, due to migrations, mortality rates, uh, and so on. Okay, um, let's wait and see what uh, the re what results will be um, uh, eventually reported. Um, I, I think it should take some time before the official results may be published. Uh, but there was another topic that I wanted to discuss with you, and uh, um, as far as I understand, this is a topic of interest uh, to you as a social scientist, as, and that is the nationalities who live in Russia. Of course, the census will provide uh, hopefully updated information about what nationalities and how many, uh, how numerous those groups are. But let's talk about the uh, nationalities politics, nationalities policy of the Russian government. Of course, this policy changed quite dramatically, or maybe not. Uh, I hope to hear this from you. But one dramatic difference is that um, once ethnic origin was imposed on a person in the Soviet Union, because everyone who reached the age of 16 in the Soviet Union had an indication of his or her ethnicity and his or her internal passport and in all kinds, of course, of other documents. Uh, and one didn't have much choice. It had to be either one's father's or one's mother's ethnicity if uh, they were not of the same ethnic origin, that is. So that requirement was lifted uh, very early in post-Soviet Russia. Uh, and uh, what, uh, in your opinion, was the effect on, of this for the people and for the government policy? Well, uh, I would say that this effect uh, differs, uh, because yes, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, Russia became a much more ethnically homogeneous country. So, according to all uh, previous censuses, uh, ethnic Russians... Uh, uh, about like 80-81% of the entire population. Uh, and the four, well, uh, let's say, uh, uh, it means that the majority of population of the Russian federations, uh, of the Russian federation, uh, are Russians. Uh, however, uh, this is a very salient issue for uh, ethnic republics, right? Because uh, for them, one of the primary goals for their uh, legitimization uh, inside and outside uh, their respective republics uh, is uh, becoming a major for those so-called titular ethnic groups is becoming a majority. A majority. Uh, so there is a widespread belief that if they uh, constitute an ethnic majority within the republic, uh, that uh, their status uh, becomes much more attractive. Let's say that uh, there would be no any uh, claims, let's say, to disband uh, this particular republic or to abandon it, to merge it with another one, and so on, so far. And uh, as far as I know, that's, uh, it's a, a widespread phenomenon that within those republics, uh, an important element of domestic politics 
uh, is based on the idea of, uh, let's say, some privileges of uh, titular ethnic groups. And they also, that's, that's very important to become a majority. Well, and uh, uh, just to mention some examples, uh, let's say, according to, if I'm not mistaken, 2001 census, uh, ethnic Bashkirs comprised about 22% of the uh, population of uh, the Republic of Bashkortostan. In 2010, uh, so this figure, if not doubled, but so it became uh, almost like almost 30%. Now I do believe that uh, the ultimate goal for the authorities of Bashkortostan is to increase this figure even more. And the same uh, true will be for many republics, right? Uh, so, and they so that's important. Another point that I would also uh, like to stress is uh, the fact that quite, quite many uh, respondents, they just do not report their ethnicity. So, if I'm not mistaken, it's up to 20%, at least in some regions, uh, respondents who do not report their ethnicity. So it means that either they uh, do believe that it's unimportant or somehow they prefer to hide it, uh, probably due to the threat of uh, some sort of discrimination uh, or whatever. But so it became possible, let's say, just not to report one's uh, ethnicity during the census. And given the fact that uh, now Russians do not need uh, to uh, indicate it in their uh, official IDs, like passport uh, or whatever. So uh, we have quite many people uh, who don't have, in fact, their ethnic identity, right? Well, uh, there were also some cases when people were reporting some, you know, uh, just, you know, uh, very strange uh, ethnic uh, identities like, I don't know, Jedis, Elves, uh, Dwarves. Uh, so there were cases uh, like this. Uh, however, of course, it's not uh, a mainstream trend. So just it's a marginal trend. It's a very marginal trend. But well, still, it became possible to be an official Elf, elf uh, in Russia. <laughs> Okay. Um, uh, so to our listeners who are unaware of the nationality situation in Russia, would you cite those republics um, where the um, titular nation accounts for a majority? Uh, well, definitely. Uh, so uh, we will find such republics uh, in the North Caucasus. So let's say Chechnya, uh, Ingushetia. Well, it's not possible to say about Dagestan, because uh, there are official, uh, let's say, almost 20 uh, nationalities, only officially, but if we, let's say, bring them into one group, so Dagestanis definitely will be uh, in a majority. Uh, the same will be more or less true for so-called dual uh, republics, like Kabardino-Balkaria, Karachava, Cherkessia, right? Uh, so in Tatarstan, so there is a rather difficult situation, uh, so, because uh, Tatars uh, uh, compose, or at least according to the previous census, they composed almost a majority, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, so, let's see what's going to happen there. Uh, uh, 
recently I had a project uh, where I have interviewed some experts from the Republic of Mordovia and also uh, all uh, census takers there were given like uh, a clear task uh, to increase the number of uh, ethnic uh, Mordovians. Uh, so census takers were instructed to ask people about their ancestry and even if let's say one of grandma uh, grandparents uh, uh, was a Mordovian well this person uh, was uh, had to be recorded as a, a Mordovian well uh, that that's what uh, that that's what I do uh, remember now right Okay, uh, so it's interesting that even though uh, people no longer have to identify themselves as being on a, uh, of a certain ethnic origin, um, as we've been talking, it's not in their passports or any other uh, internal document for that matter, still um, there is a reason for many people in Russia to be um, aware of their ethnicity and even keenly aware. Is that right? Well, uh... I wouldn't say like this. Uh, so I don't have a feeling that uh, people need to report the ethnicity uh, quite frequently. Uh, at least, uh, let's say, living in Saint Petersburg, uh, uh, I have I never had the chance to report my ethnicity in some, you know, uh, official formal circumstances, uh, being asked about it uh, during the job interview or whatever. So, but uh, I cannot say about it uh, for the ethnic republics. Uh, probably there are such cases when people will really enjoy some preferences uh, belonging to uh, a titular nation, right? Uh, let's say like this. So, me and my co-author uh, Alexey Besudnov uh, had a research project, a field experiment, ethnic discrimination in the labor market uh, in large uh, Russian cities. And we were comparing uh, the rate of ethnic discrimination in the labor market in Moscow and St. Petersburg on the one hand, and Kazan and Ufar, uh, which are uh, regional capitals of uh, uh, the republics of Tatarstan and Bashkortostan respectively, uh, on the other hand. And, uh, well, uh, and we have revealed that uh, there is ethnic discrimination uh, in Moscow and St. Petersburg, let's say uh, so-called European ethnic groups, uh, which included in our uh, project Russian Jews, Ukrainians, uh, Germans, uh, Latvians, Lithuanians, were not discriminated, uh, while, uh, as we call them, Southern ethnic groups, uh, which included uh, Chechens, uh, Tatars, Azerbaijanis, uh, Uzbeks, Armenians, uh, Georgians uh, were discriminated. However, in Kazan and Ufar, uh, no ethnic group was discriminated. And it was a very interesting result uh, because, well, uh, uh, of course, uh, we expected that uh, there will be some rate of uh, ethnic discrimination in the labor market because, well, uh, quite many Russians have uh, stereotypes uh, about this uh, uh, republics that uh, titular nations they really enjoy some privileges uh, that they have better chances uh, to get more in, in getting uh, more prestigious uh, positions in business and administration uh, but well uh, it did not happen uh, moreover uh, when we looked uh, 
at our results more cautiously, uh, we found that the absence of the discrimination could not be explained by, let's say, compensation of uh, non-discrimination of uh, Russians, in the sense that uh, so Russians were not enjoying uh, privileged positions there at, at this expense, uh, all other groups were not discriminated, no. So the conclusion was that uh, all uh, ethnic groups enjoyed uh, more or less uh, equal treatment uh, in the labor market. And, uh, well, despite the fact that uh, employers, uh, they uh, can understand signals uh, from ethnic names, so, I mean, uh, when uh, ethnic names are signaling about uh, uh, one's ethnicity, but they still do not discriminate. Therefore, well, uh, from this perspective, the, situations, the situation in the labor market is becoming more complicated. It means that we need uh, more data, we need uh, more research, and uh, we need more empirically driven conclusions. Something like this. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, interesting data indeed. So let's talk more specifically about uh, the uh, nationalities policy of the government. Back in 2011, shortly before uh, Vladimir Putin was returning to the uh, post of the Russian president, he published a long article on the nationalities issue. And in that article, he emphasized the uh, polyethnic, I think that was the term that he used, uh, or maybe multinational, um, another term to describe Russia that is commonly used. So he emphasized this polyethnic nature of Russia and condemned the ideas of self-determination of ethnic Russians. He referred to it as fully unacceptable, and I think there was even language there, such as um, Russian-centered uh, Russia uh, will be the end of Russia as we know it, or some such. Anyway, uh, that article, I think, echoed uh, the Soviet approach. Of course, the Soviet Union was a multi-nation state, and that was um, a very important uh, line in state propaganda. Uh, and it still uh, seems that it is, uh, Putin is very focused on it and concerned, uh, and that was also part of that article, about ethnic peace and therefore stability in Russia. Would you say that this is what still guides the current um, nationalities policy in Russia? Uh, yes, I would agree with this uh, argument. Uh, it seems that uh, his policy is still guided by uh, those ideas, ideas that you have just mentioned. Uh, that's on the one hand, it looks like a compromise between, you know, uh, uh, ethnic minorities dem demands and ethnic majority demands uh, that there should be uh, some balance uh, between these demands that uh, on the one hand uh, Russia should not become a, uh, a nation state and on the other hand uh, ethnic minorities uh, should enjoy uh, those powers they have uh, right now and should not uh, claim for uh, for more powers, right? And therefore, well, and this balance is uh, seen as uh, being almost perfect. Of course, uh, you're absolutely right, uh, it echoes with the uh, late Soviet experience. Uh, and here we can just recall 
those debates uh, that preceded uh, the last Soviet uh, con the adoption of the last Soviet constitution in uh, 1977. Uh, before that, uh, there was uh, an academic, if it's uh, if, if 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 this term is acceptable, uh, debate. Uh, so how uh, the Soviet uh, nationalities policy uh, should look like. And uh, according to the official Marxist, Marxist doctrine, uh, well, uh, so as far as we remember, uh, the concept of nation is a, is a fake concept. So only the class is the uh, true one. And therefore, it was, uh, as it was argued many times, uh, in communism, uh, there will be no nations, right? And no classes, of course. Uh, however, uh, unless we are not living uh, in uh, communism, uh, so we should be realists. And therefore, uh, so uh, there were two competing approaches. Uh, first one, so in, in Russian, uh, they, they are called слияние uh, and сближение, uh, something like uh, merger and uh, rapprochement. Uh, and, uh, well, there was a short debate between uh, advocates of those uh, two approaches and, uh, well, uh, some, some form of compromise was achieved, that it looked more like, uh, uh, let's say, rapprochement or сближение first and only then слияние uh, or merger. Uh, and uh, it was the official mainstream policy in this field, and it was criticized both, let's say, from the uh, minority nationalists uh, who claimed that it's a new trick of, uh, you know, Russian imperialism and colonialism uh, to make all uh, ethnic minority groups uh, to merge within one uh, still Russian uh, ethnic majority. And this approach was also criticized by Russian nationalists uh, who claimed that uh, this uh, focus on uh, uh, Soviet, in fact, uh, makes uh, ethnic Russians uh, being disadvantaged because they will have to uh, contribute their ethnic identity to this new uh, supranational one. Uh, and due to, the fact, due to the fact that the Soviet Union is uh, some sort of uh, continuation of the Russian Empire, well, it means that uh, Russians should forget their ethnic identity, right? Well, of course, this debate was to some extent artificial because, uh, well, uh, uh, it was uh, still the, the late 70s and uh, let's, let's, let's not overestimate uh, uh, the, the size of the public sphere uh, in this in the late Soviet Union. Uh, however, well, uh, it just reminds us uh, the arguments uh, we can uh, see now uh, when this the future of the uh, Russian nationalities policy uh, is discussed. Well, all those arguments uh, are almost identical uh, to the ones that uh, were heard by uh, Soviet uh, policymakers uh, in uh, the late Soviet period. Okay, um, well, uh, um, what do you say that this policy uh, is reasonably successful? And would you agree that um, in today's Russia, 
this policy that, uh, as you were also um, um, describing it, uh, a policy that is reminiscent of the Soviet one, um, that it is explained not just by Putin's uh, personal Soviet background, but his desire uh, to actually ensure peace and stability and his caution when it comes um, to issues such as uh, ethnic identity and uh, possibly ethnic grievances. So would you say that this is what drives him? And would you say this policy is reasonably successful at this point? Well, uh, yes, I would agree with you that, of course, one of the uh, uh, one of the ideas behind this policy is uh, intention to prevent uh, inter-ethnic conflicts, uh, let's say, within regions, between regions, uh, and so on and so far. Because, well, uh, if for the Putin's ideology, the collapse of the Soviet Union is one of the poles on this ideological continuum that had to be prevented somehow, well, the series of inter-ethnic uh, conflicts, uh, like violent conflicts, of course, uh, is seen as something absolutely unacceptable. And therefore, maintaining the inter-ethnic peace uh, is one of the key goals in this sphere. And I would say that uh, so the key idea uh, in this nationalities policy is maintaining status quo. Uh, let happen nothing, right? Of course, uh, uh, it's not possible. Uh, what we see in the uh, recent years is uh, uh, more and more focus on the uh, ideas and values of uh, patriotism, let's say uh, state-sponsored nationalism, but in a very mild form, uh, right? Uh, but, uh, but, but nothing else. So any, uh, un, let's say, unlicensed activism uh, uh, is not permitted. All uh, unlicensed uh, activists are prosecuted and, uh, well, repressed. And they also, uh, let's say, uh, only the government and the Kremlin uh, have a monopoly of, uh, uh, you know, ad even advising some policies in this sphere. That's it. So this is the status quo. And so the idea that, uh, well, this is a monopoly of the Kremlin uh, to do anything in this field. Right. Um, so, uh, where uh, where do you see some of the challenges? You mentioned uh, some of them. Of course, the ethnic republics, and uh, in some cases, acute awareness there of their ethnic origin and their desire uh, to raise their percentage. Sometimes, as you mentioned, even artificially. Uh, of the titular nation. Uh, of course, there's the issue of Islam and Russian Muslims in some of those republics, uh, especially, uh, uh, you know, now that uh, Islam in the world uh, has been on the rise for many years now. But there is, uh, it seems there is one more issue that uh, you haven't touched upon yet, and this is labor migrants. Uh, and we have a large number of labor migrants in Russia. Um, to what extent uh, is this a challenge to uh, the nationalities policy as President Putin would like to pursue it? Well, uh, it's a good question. So I have just some preliminary ideas. Uh, I would even say speculations uh, on it. Uh, let's say first, uh, so the issue of migrants uh, is for, for the government is just a pure economic one economic one. Uh, so there is, a, let's say, a, a lobby in the, 
frankly speaking, a lobby in the government uh, which demands bringing uh, more and more labor migrants uh, because, well, uh, uh, it is argued that uh, Russian labor force is scared, is scarce, uh, that, uh, well, uh, migrants uh, uh, demand uh, lower pay, uh, are ready to work under harsh conditions, uh, and so on so far, right? Uh, that, that's one perspective. On the other hand, we see that uh, government uh, uh, shows zero, zero tolerance policy to any anti-migrant movements. And uh, an interesting point that uh, if you look at the polls and, uh, let's say, and try to uh, look at the relationship between political loyalty to the government uh, and uh, attitude to migrants, uh, we will see a positive relationship, meaning that uh, loyal uh, respondents will show a bit more uh, tolerance to migrants. And well, and it sounds uh, very counterintuitive. And my only explanation is that uh, that the uh, respondents uh, see uh, uh, the government's uh, crackdown on uh, anti-migrant uh, movements and they uh, interpret it as a clear signal that uh, uh, anti-migrant attitudes uh, are not permitted. And therefore, at least in the surveys, uh, they show uh, higher tolerance to migrants than, uh, let's say, less loyal respondents. Therefore, so uh, for me, it's a very uh, complicated issue, uh, right? Uh, so we don't see too many, uh, you know, anti-migrant riots uh, in Russian cities, right? Uh, we see that, so now this situation is more or less under control. Uh, also, it's somehow related with the... It's, again, just I will repeat, it's my speculation. Uh, it's somehow related with the... Uh, Russian uh, urban planning. So we still don't have uh, too many ghettos in uh, Russian cities. Let's say I'm living in St. Petersburg and I cannot say that any particular district in the city uh, can be uh, considered as, a, let's say, Uzbek and Uzbek ghetto or Tajik ghetto or a Chinese ghetto or whatever ghetto, right? May I please interrupt you for a second? Do you think uh, the absence of ghettos, this is a very interesting point since there are um, a great many labor migrants in a big city. Is this the result of the government's policy? Does the government prevent ghettos from being established? No, no. I think it just, let's say, it's a natural experiment. It's a, a natural outcome of uh, uh, urban planning uh, in the Russian cities. Yes, so I don't, I don't think that uh, this is uh, an intended government's policy. So it's just happening, right? Okay. So I, will, I, I would even say that if the government and the big business were planning anything more, uh, more uh, precisely, we will, uh, could see such ghettos because, well, they would have invested in uh, uh, constructing some, uh, you know, apartment houses for labor migrants and so on and so far. And, uh, and we will see uh, much higher concentration of uh, migrants there. But, well, it's not happening. So it uh, seems to be a more or less natural process. Um, okay, I think we got to my last question, and it is actually connected to what you just said. Uh, um, so you mentioned that there are not too many anti-migrant riots. And indeed, uh, if we go back uh, about 10 
uh, 11 years ago. There was a large riot in 2010. And there also were um, several episodes lately. And uh, the Russian media actually has paid a lot of attention to those episodes of a case of rape, uh, followed by um, an expulsion of a group of migrant workers before it became even clear whether those migrant workers uh, or any of them um, were somehow implicated in that crime. Um, there was a campaign of glorifying a Russian man who stood up to defend a woman abused by a group of non-Russians. So some journalists and observers, uh, I think, rapidly came to a conclusion that the government uh, is... Uh, changing its policy and uh, uh, begins to play the ethnic card. Uh, but from what you've been talking about, I think uh, uh, you're unlikely to agree with that. Is that right? No, uh, you're absolutely right. So I'm unlikely to agree with that. I don't see uh, any consistent uh, policy which aims to uh, change the status quo, right? Because, well, we see who is one of the most powerful governors in Russia. So Ramzan Kadyrov, uh, the governor of uh, Chechnya, right? And therefore, well, uh, it's very unrealistic that uh, under these circumstances, uh, the government will radically change uh, its, uh, its policy, right? So uh, just today uh, we have... Uh, uh, we have this case when the, the Parliament of Chechnya tries to face the bill which bans uh, mentioning ethnicity of, uh, uh, of, any, of any criminals or convicts, right? Well, let's see how it will, uh, how it will end. Okay, so I, I, don't, I don't see here any consistent pattern. Okay. So, Andrei, thank you very much. I will remind our listeners that my guest today uh, was Andrei Sherbak, deputy head of the uh, Ronald Engelhardt Laboratory for Comparative Social Research. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.